from the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Hello. Hello. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I'm hurting. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, Mark, you're such a killjoy. Why on earth aren't you with me this time? Well, I had my ticket and I was packed. And then suddenly I decided to trap a nerve in my neck. That's very selfish of you. I mean, how on earth do you trap a nerve in your neck? Did you sleep funny? Did you twist your neck? Did it happen while you were jogging? Oh, yeah, it was definitely doing a very heavy exercise session. But in the real world, I think a combination of too many plane journeys, climbing in and out of vans in Uzbekistan, and going to help the needy at pantry packers in Jerusalem by filling up machines with corn flour, I managed to knacker my neck. Anyway, I've had to travel without you, and I'm really sorry, and I know you're going to be making it out at some future point, hopefully, if your health allows, but for now, listeners are going to have to be stuck just with me. Yeah, it's becoming a habit, this. I left you all alone in Tashkent, and now I'm leaving you alone in Bucharest. I hope you're going to behave yourself. I have to say that Bucharest, so far, I've only been here for a few hours. I got in early in the morning to the Romanian capital. The journey in from the airport, once you get through the outer areas that are a bit more you know, industrial or where there are houses, um, once we got towards the city centre, was beautiful. You drive past something that looks remarkably like the Arc de Triomphe, in Paris. In fact, many people refer to Bucharest as sort of a second Paris. And then you drive past some beautiful stately homes, uh, some of which have been converted into hotels and offices. And, And the hotel that I'm staying in, which is the Novotel, this building was actually originally the Romanian National Theatre. Beautiful hotel. Very happy to be here. Do you know that in Romania, the um, building that looks like the Arc de Triomphe is called something like the Arcul de Triomphe? If you go back through Romanian history, which I'm sure we will be doing in this podcast and hopefully when you come out in an up-and-coming podcast, you'll hear about the French influence in this part of the world. um, And you can see that in quite a bit of the pre-communist architecture. And in the flag, it's like the French flag, but with a bit of yellow in it. Mm, Good point. Anyway, do you want to know what I'm up to? Yeah, so I can feel left out. (laughs) So breakfast this morning was was great. Really nice buffet. Lots and lots and lots of Israelis in the the dining room. Hebrew seemed to be almost 50%, which is very interesting. So I wonder if this is particularly a hotel that Israelis come to. But then I'm off for some culture for the rest of the day. That's all right, then. I'll I'll join you when the culture's over and the fun begins. (laughs) I'm going to absolutely murder the pronunciation here, but we're going to some place called the Zambakian, Zambachian Museum and the Filipescu Tiazianu House. Then we'll be going to uh, the Coral Temple, which is a, a synagogue, a Bet Knesset, and then we'll be looking at the Jewish Museum and rounding it all off, meeting a very famous chef who works here who happens to be Israeli. So that, that's what's on my menu. What about your menu for the day? I will be taking painkillers, putting hot wheat socks on my shoulder, and then hopefully heading to the airport a bit later to come and join you. 
Well, I hope you feel good, and I wish you a great rest of the day, and I'll go and enjoy myself. By the way, if dinner's any good, bring back a doggy bag. <laughs> Will do. Hopefully, I'll see you in the middle of the night or tomorrow morning at breakfast. Take care, my friend. See you later. Bye-bye. Poor old Mark. Anyway, I hope he has a speedy recovery and a speedy flight out. And for all that I laugh at him and joke about him, he is a good mate and I miss him terribly. Anyway, before we get on with the rest of the podcast, it's time for, yes, the quiz question. So it's only one question and it is the following. There are three regions in Romania. Moldavia and Transylvania are two. But what is the name of the third in which Bucharest is located? The answer at the end of the pod. This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at markdavidpod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. My name is Gilbert Scheim. I'm the Gabai of the Coral Temple of Bucharest. I have also been singing here for many, many decades. My parents were married here in 1971 by late Rabbi Rosen. My grandparents were here before. This is what's left of her history, and it helped to continue this heritage as long as we can walk and talk. We're on the second level of the ladies' galleries. For those of you unfamiliar with Orthodox synagogues, normally the men are down below, and then you have a gallery of ladies, but here there are two levels. Before we get into discussing some of the rest of the architecture, why is there this second gallery, giving it the feeling of a wonderful European opera house? As far as I know, in the beginning, there was one gallery, a second gallery they built later on, of 1891 to 1892. Why? They expanded the building a bit. They just raised the roof a bit and expanded the capacity of this hall, reached for the seated congregation to 604, 605, as far as I know. When I was a little boy over four decades ago during communism, Thousands of people would pack this place during the high holidays. I was supposed to sing there as an altar boy, and they had to make room for us. We could not reach <laughs> the Bima area. We really could not do that. Let's talk through some of the design. I think one of the words that you mentioned earlier was concentric. There's a lot of similarity, repeated patterns. When you mentioned the word concentric, I was even thinking, if you'll forgive the comparison, of, of something in the, in the Hindu variety. This is a place that was built uh, in such a way as to break you away from surrounding reality. In Judaism, as you may know or not, the explicit representation of the sacred is banished as it could be considered idolatry, right? This is why the artists had to come up with all sorts of tricks to represent the abstract divine. God is holy, invisible, incomprehensible, mysterious in Judaism. No living beings has ever seen him, right? How do you represent the abstract divine graphically? You just cannot. But they found all sorts of tricks. In this case, they found so those geometrical figures, almost concentric, very much resembling fractal art. In fractal art, according to mathematical formula, you have geometrical figures dividing to themselves to infinity, giving the viewer the impression of mystery, getting lost 
morphs into hypnotic. They're supposed to take you away from the surrounding reality and make you transcend to the skies into a, maybe a different reality, or like meditate, like the Kabbalists used to meditate and whatever they did in their days. They came up with this idea of building a flamboyant and shiny synagogues like the ones in Europe in mid-19th century, a musical one that was to be like an opera, the combination between a, a traditional Jewish service and opera singing and also very beautiful costumes and a special atmosphere that was supposed to herald the integration of the Jews into this new Europe. So that's why it's called the Choral Temple. It Choral didn't from choir. We've always had here a choir singing with the congregation and the chazan during the service. It's an orthodox synagogue, right? It's an orthodox synagogue. It is built like a traditional synagogue. Okay, there was a scandal here in late uh, 1890s. A splinter group of the community came up with the idea of establishing an organ at the second gallery. And to stop the infighting, they eventually hired a non-Jewish organist to play it. Until 1947, it went on like this one. Later, Rabbi Rosen came and said, with Orthodox, we're not playing it. The organ was still here. I used to play around this child. It was not functioning. Unfortunately, uh, a mistake was made. A wall fell over it, and the organ was completely crushed. The monument itself. And an empty space resulted. In this empty space, we organized a small exhibition area where you can find models of synagogue still in existence in Romania. Give me an idea of the numbers of Jews in Romania or in Bucharest. Say when the synagogue was opened, what, 150, 170 years ago? You can guess through to today. Before World War II, we were about 800, up to 850,000 souls living in Great Romania. More than half our community was unfortunately killed during the war. About 400,000 by the most immigrated wherever they could after the war. I had members of my family going to British Palestine. Then the communist regime here stopped immigration toward the late 1940s. Some people were even imprisoned as Aserition or even killed during Stalinism. After Stalin died in 1953, though, elements of the communist regime here in Romania started to secretly negotiate for the release of some ethnic Jews in exchange for uh, Holstein cattle delivered from Britain by a gentleman of Jewish descent. The Jewish life here in Romania continued thanks to the genius of late Rabbi by Dr. Moses Rosen, which I'm a product of, let's say, an amazing character, larger than life. I cannot believe this man existed when I look back in history. This rabbi uh, defied the orders of Stalin uh, in the late 1940s to remove all traces of Jewish life in Eastern Europe. And he continued Talmud Torah here. I was attending here Talmud Torah courses with Rabbi Rosen singing in the choirs. My parents getting married here. Some people are bold enough to take their children, <laughs> raise their careers. 1989, the end of communism, a whole new era of hope. But how many Jews are left here today? Today, about 2,000 local Jews like me are left in Bucharest. Maybe another 2,000 across the country. Mostly, unfortunately, elderly people in the 70s, 80s and 90s. I'm a 50-year-old youngster. <laughs> we do have children youngsters, not that many. There's a Jewish secular school not far from here. Uh, there's a Jewish state theater still very much functioning in Yiddish. That's very interesting. And the museums, the Jewish community center, the Mikveh, and uh, the Richard Bath, right? and the nursing home, which is very important here, and also the clinic. We also continue our daily services, sometimes even twice daily services, with our congregants, as difficult as it is to gather all the elderly congregants from all over the city, we still continue to do this. During high holidays, we may reach two to three hundred. Uh, on every Shabbat, around 40, I would say 50, that would be a good number. Daily, if we gather 10, 15 people in the morning, that's a good figure. You've grown up here, you're 50 years old, you, you've gone through 
good times and clearly bad times. In another 30, 40 years time, when you're an, an elderly man here, do you think that the community will still be around or will you be the last guy to lock the door? There's no doubt in my mind, a small number of Jews will still be in Romania. Not the large numbers that we once were, but for example, there's an increasing population of Israelis in, in, in Bucharest and Romania generally. So who knows? Anyway, I'm certain a small number of Jews will still be here. I have friends with children and they will be here. But the large numbers that we once were, I don't think so. Hello, my name is Ilana Mitu. I am a guide at the National Museum of Art of Romania. And we are here today at the Zambakcian Museum. It used to be a private art collection that today entered the public domain, also the public property. When we were talking before, we were laughing about the fact that everybody in Romania, their last name finishes with Escu. But Zambakcian, whose home this is, that sounds like a very different name to me. Right, it's uh, because uh, it's very simple. Uh, it's because he's not Romanian. Krikor Zambakcian is Armenian-born. He has an Armenian um, background and origin. His parents moved to Romania to Constanza, a city close to the seaside in the 1870s, and he was born in, in Constanza. So probably this is why he loves marines, he loves the, the presence of the sea. To quote Stendhal, uh, close to the sea, there is no place for small things. So we're in his home. We saw his office a little bit later on. I'm going to have a wander upstairs and see some of his private quarters. But the main part of this home is filled with Romanian art. Is there something specific that unites Romanian art or is it just varied like all other forms? He did a very unified collection and uh, this shows not only his taste but also his amazing eye and feeling because he knew how to depict and how to observe what is the most representative for Romanian art and for masterpieces because it's a collection mainly of masterpieces. Everything is very good. I would say in Romania and uh, also in his collection you can find quite a lot of uh, landscapes especially end of 19th century and beginning of uh, 20th century. Uh, many of the Romanian painters uh, traveled to France, to Barbizon, or to the south of France. We can see green, rich landscapes coming uh, from those parts. But there are also um, Romanian painters that uh, depicted the Romanian shores, the Bulgarian shores, that are more arid. They don't look that green. It's very nice to see the difference. One of the things that we've been talking about is the depiction of the peasant, the person who did the real work in agriculture. Explain a little bit about the struggle of that depiction amongst the artists. I think the big struggle for artists is whether they should represent an ideal version of the peasant. Let's say Grigorescu shows a Romanian peasant, a lady sleeping in the grass, 
surrounded by flowers. She's thin, long, relaxed. A peasant normally works and is tired and doesn't have time to just uh, sit and spend free time on the grass. So this is a, a version of the representation of rurality. And there is another version where painters want to show reality. They want to show the true colors and uh, the true everyday life of a peasant who works, who struggles with uh, hunger sometimes, especially at the beginning of the century, there used to be a big hunger here. You're smiling, your eyes light up when you talk about art. What does this mean for you deep down inside, especially from the Romanian perspective? What makes me, I don't know, <laughs> what makes me love art? Probably understanding is what brings me joy. The images, but also the story behind and being able to see them together and to put stories together, it's quite a big uh, satisfaction, I think. If anybody wants to know more about this collection and the broader national collection, how can they do so? We've got a website, mnar.art.ro. There are some um, special places on the website where you can discover the collections, the, because we have many collections, both Romanian art and European art. We will soon open a decorative art department. Thank you so much for your time. And more important than that, thank you for your passion and your warmth in presenting this collection. I'm very happy that you liked it. And please come again also in other museums. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition with Mark Gordon and David Harris. Marmorosh Bank used to be a bank that started its activity in 1848 as a small office, but it grew so fast and having stations in New York. My name is Carmen Hanayovitsu. And we are in the Museum for the Jewish History and Culture of the Jews of Romania called Nicolae Kajal. It looks to me as though it is or was a synagogue. It was a synagogue. The name is Ahdut Kodesh, the Holy Union Synagogue. We are placed on the street Mamular number three. We invite you to visit us whenever you can. It was active until 1966. It is a small, beautifully decorated synagogue and we are very proud of it. Can you describe the style of this synagogue? I am not a man of architecture, but I hope you can. The model uh, keeps the model of Vienna architectural uh, synagogues. Uh, the decoration is Moorish style. I don't know why you would have an Ashkenazi synagogue with a Moorish decoration, but it's very vivid and it has a little blue, so it, we are very happy with this color. Many synagogues in Romania have disappeared, either were destroyed or just fallen into disrepair. I guess it's very important that a place like this has been preserved. What's happened to it since its closure as a place of worship in 66? Well, for some years it was closed, but in 1978 we actually became a museum. And uh, this is thanks to Chief Rabbi Moses Rosen, who was our leader, a religious leader and a civil leader. And he decided that this uh, synagogue becomes museum, which we are thankful for this. And actually all the synagogues that are restored in the country are done with the money of the Jewish community, but also with the help of the government. 
which is a very important thing. The Federation of the Jewish Communities is helped by the government for the repairing of the monuments. As one walks in, as with all synagogues, the Ark is in front of you. There are no pews here, no chairs here anymore. There are two galleries for ladies above. But down on the main floor where most of the exhibits are, I think you can say the exhibits are really split into two. To the right, which you're going to tell me about now, is the history. The history of the existence of the Jews on this territory actually is starting with the second century and goes up until the present day. You said the second century. What evidence have you got that there was a Jewish presence here? Well, we've got a coin from the Bar Kochba period, and uh, we've got also some signs that are not in our uh, collection, but we know that the Jews were here because they left signs of names that are Jewish, but in other languages like Greek language or the Latin language, but there were Jewish names. And after we have a gravestone from the 18th century, but we know that there is also in the cemetery there are stones from the 16th century very old stones so the existence of the jews on this territory is very long we also have a book about the travels of benjamin de tudela who mentioned the existence of jews on the north of the danube in the 12th century because he visited this area in 1170. as with all Jewish museums, particularly in Europe, it's impossible to have a full display without talking about the Second World War, the Shoah, the Holocaust. I don't want you to go into the details necessarily of, the, of what you display, but how do you take the decision of what size the Shoah plays in a museum where I guess people are coming not only to be educated, but also to have... An enjoyable experience, maybe? Exactly. Uh, this is a very good question. Uh, obviously, Shoah and uh, Holocaust has an important and critical uh, place in our exhibit. But we are a museum that speaks about life. And we celebrate life through our exhibits and through the place, the objects that uh, describe the celebrations, the holidays, the normal life. Holocaust is part of our life. We always have to remember it, but it's not all our exhibition con concentrated on. We concentrate on exhibiting life and on celebrating life with music and art and whatever makes a Jewish home happy. This is a Gregor for a synagogue, it's very old, it dates in the 18th century, so it's in wood and it's a magnificent exhibit. It looks very strange and nobody knows what it is until we say what it is. This must be three feet high. It's got one very thin and cracked piece of wood on it because of overuse. And so hopefully you playing it now isn't going to damage it too much. This is something that is used during the Purim holiday when the name of Haman, who was the enemy of the Jews in Persia at the time, when his name is mentioned, then that noise is used to, to block it out. And this is a part of the other side of the museum, the left side, which is much more about Jewish life. And we show objects old, and new that describe a Jewish hope, 
or Jewish life in everything that we have, books, objects, ceremonial objects, and we want to show that life goes on and we are still here to speak about our culture and our heritage and we're happy with music and celebrations. Again, I mention it because music is part of our life. We'll get on to music in a sec, but before that, above on the top two floors, you have artwork from famous painters from Romania and also some from beyond. These are Jewish painters born in Romania in our collection. It's a very important collection and we show all types of uh, techniques, all types of styles from the classicism to expressionism and surrealism and we exhibit uh, names like Margareta Asterian and Eva Cerbu up until uh, uh, Victor Brauner, Marcel Janko and Maxi. So these are famous names outside of Romania but we are proud to have them in our collection as well. If anybody wants to know more, um, you've given out the address already, you can do it again. Is there a website or how else can be in touch? Yes, you can find us on the Google. You can find us on Facebook. Um, there, You just search in English the Jewish uh, History and Culture Museum, Do- Dr. Nikolai Kajal. You will find us there. So, you are literally going to play us out of the museum. So, thank you so much for your time. But tell us what it is that you're touching right now and what we're going to hear. This is a patefon with a vinyl that uh, comes from the States. Well, actually, the song is a Romanian song in Yiddish they called but the melody I discovered is also common for Romanian Romanian folklore piece so it's actually Romanians and Jews had the same folklore and we're very very happy to hear this No, really. What does that mean? You're coming or you're not coming? Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. I wouldn't miss it for the world. You're just a martyr, aren't you? You want everybody to feel some sympathy. A lot of sympathy. Big R from all the people listening out there. One, two, three. Yeah, you had to do it because nobody else did. Anyway, it's been a great morning. The weather has been, it's chilly, but really nice. It started with a bit of rain in the morning. I think rain's predicted tonight. But during the day, it's crisp. Um, It's beautiful walking weather. I'm not doing that much walking out and about because I'm getting a car from place to place. But yeah, having a great time thus far. Oh, I've got an idea. Since I'm pretty much at halfway through my day, and we always do a fact file at this point, if I send you over some facts and whatever, will will you record it for me? Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, I'll send something over a little bit later on. And if you could record it at this point, that would be fantastic. Excellent. Bucharest Fact File Bucharest Henry Coanda International Airport has no direct flights to the US. 
but can be reached directly via most major European hubs. The two and a half hour flight from Tel Aviv can be made with Arkea, El Al, High Sky, Ryanair, Tarom and Wizz Air. Bucharest North Railway Station is accessible from the airport by train 24 hours a day. The journey takes 25 minutes. Bus 783 takes around 40 minutes from the airport to the city centre. A three-day integrated transport pass costs around 40 lei or $8.5. We stayed at the Novotel city centre. Bucharest has many five-star hotels including the Marmarush Autograph, JW Marriott Grand, Radisson Blue, Hilton Athene Palace, Epoch, Suter Palace and Sheraton. 100 US dollars will buy you 465 Romanian new lei as of December 2022. Bucharest has a temperate climate similar to the northeastern United States with four distinct seasons. A highly recommended site to visit is the National Museum of Contemporary Art. Israeli chef Joseph Haddad has two main restaurants in Bucharest, Caju and Mace by Joseph Haddad. Kosher restaurants in Bucharest include Bereshit, Moise and Avraham. Hello, I'm Alexandra Russo. I'm the curator of the Museum of Ages, Casa Filipescu Cesiano in Bucharest, part of the Bucharest Municipality Museum. So there are 12 elements to this museum all over town. Why is yours the best? Ours is, <laughs> of course, the best because it is a new museum in the capital city of Romania. It is an urban anthropology museum, so it's also a new concept. Also, because it is situated in a historical Boyer family house from the beginning of the 19th century, which maintains parts of the original structure. Many museums that one visits in life take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Maybe we could even use the term higgledy-piggledy. But here, again, because you've been able to create something anew, it's very heavily thematic. Tell us about the thinking that went into this museum. Well, it's complex because we are talking about uh, urban anthropology, so it's a holistic uh, discipline that encompasses the entire anthropological aspects of the human life, from physical anthropology to the cultural anthropology. The main theme of this uh, museum is uh, 300 years of history in Bucharest, of family life, uh, intimacy, relationships inside the family, relationships between generations. If you look around the museum, it has the, the usual mix of costumes, of furniture, there are some weapons that would have been used in a home and so on. So how do you make that jump from what other museums have into this urban anthropology? I think it's mainly by discourse, which we adapt, of course, depending of our visitors, of their age. Also, because we have another additional concept of the museum that I think it fuses all the other elements, the objects and the discourse. It's the technological road of the museum. 
And through these pieces of technologies that we can see in each century, we create also a linear discourse about how technology has changed our life at home throughout the ages in Bucharest. So just to give an example of that, there was communication all the way up to the telephone, or there were musical instruments and how those became record players, and you also had VHS players and so on. In your opinion, what's more important, the sort of you and me talking things through or getting to press buttons? I think both ways, and especially for children, the level of interactivity is really, really important because in our daily practice, we can see that. The discourse can be as applied to their age as possible, but still they uh, become a little bit restless, so they need constant attention. Technology brings them together. It also creates discourse and interaction between them and between us and them. We managed to cope with this by uh, doing lots of workshops. We bring some museum educators that increase the level of interactivity with the permanent exhibition. For families, for example, it's for me is really uh, interesting and revealing to see them how they interact in connections to what they see, to the objects they see, and in the context of the family. It creates a lot of sometimes contradictions, uh, sometimes questions. Do you know which my favorite room was? Your favorite room? Oh, uh, please tell me. The maps. Oh, the maps, yes, you've told me that you would like to have uh, your own uh, room filled with maps, and I hope you have the Vatican uh, map room. That would be very nice, if only I could afford it. On the maps, and maybe this will explain the concept, maps don't necessarily fit in with that idea of family uh, and so on. So what are you trying to show, and, and how do you do it? Oh, so we are trying to show, first of all, the development of Bucharest from, let's say, the small sum of villages with two or three uh, main roads that was in the beginning, in the 15th century, in the 14th and 15th centuries, and the development until the uh, nowadays. This is one discourse. Afterwards, we have a really metaphorical discourse because we put together images of people that inhabited those places. So I think the impact is really powerful to see exactly how our physiognomy, how people change in respect to their, for example, attire, their posture, the way they walked on the streets and, and everything else. So this is uh, another type of image we would like to, to create. How does a textile artist make the jump to museum curator? Well, I think I've always been interested in the theoretical part of my domain, apart from the practice, and I still love the practice of my uh, textile art domain. I really was interested in finding more about the culture, uh, the textile culture and the material culture. So that's why for me it was a leap, a leap of faith, I think, but it's really, really rewarding. If anybody wants to know more, either just to have a look online or to come and visit, how can they do so? 
first you can find us in uh, our museum which is on Cala Victorie 151 in Bucharest really really close to Piazza Victoria the Victoria Square near the government building or you can find us on our website. You can just search for the Bucharest Municipality Museum and you will see the interesting and important offer of our 12 museum and collections. And also we have Facebook, Instagram pages. So please feel free to search for Casa Filipescu Cesiano or the Museum of Ages. It's been a wonderful, I think we've been here for two hours. It's been amazing, thank you. Thank you also. It's been a pleasure and I really liked talking to you and I hope you will come again. Also, your listeners, please do come to Bucharest and visit us. This is Mark Gordon from the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition with David Harris. As you've already heard, Mark unfortunately is not with me. He will be flying out, actually, as we're recording this particular interview and joining me for the follow-up podcast on Bucharest. However, in a few seconds' time, you're going to hear his voice because he is going to be the translator of my next guest, who is Joseph Haddad who is the chef and the owner of one of the top restaurants in Bucharest, Caju by Joseph Haddad. And before I actually say hello to him, I should also point out that for those of you who watch these things, he is one of the judges on MasterChef Romania. Joseph Haddad, thank you so much. You're welcome. I thought we were doing this in Hebrew. My English is good, but Hebrew is much better. My Romanian is much better in, in, in English. What brought you to Romania in the first place? I was the executive chef at the King David in Jerusalem. But after 10 years in the hotel, it was time to move on. I wanted to experience something new. An Israeli was opening a fancy restaurant in Bucharest. He wanted an Israeli chef and made me an offer. I said to him, where is Romania? Show me on a map. He told me he'd take me to sea. He said it's just a two and a half hour flight from Israel. My late wife also gave me a push to go for it. She said, why don't you try it for a year? I'll be a telephone call away. Anyway, there was nothing here, no decent fish or spices. We're talking six years after the revolution that toppled Ceausescu in 1989. So at that stage, what are you doing? What type of cooking? I introduced authentic French cooking the way I'd learnt it. But where did you find the ingredients? Somebody would visit me and they'd bring me a package of saffron, turmeric and cumin. People had no idea where I was getting the ingredients from. Duck breast, quail and fish such as bream, sole and red mullet. So from what you're saying, it sounds like the fact that you were a foreigner was actually an advantage. I came from outside and the people here in Bucharest saw me as being very different. I taught them everything I had learned when I was much younger. Even when I was in the Dan Hotel in Haifa when I was just 15. 
כשהייתי בן 15. You worked in the Dan Carmel, great view. You worked in the King David, great view of the old city. Both kosher. How do you go from kosher to, if you'll forgive the expression, the world is your oyster, or the oyster is your world? If you go from non-kosher to kosher, that's really tough. It's chemistry. How do you make the butter when you're serving meat? Because of this, I reckon Israeli chefs are the best in the world. It was much easier for me. In Israel, I'd never worked with shrimps or lobster. But the truth is, over here, I try to work them as little as possible. We even have mezuzah on the doorposts of my restaurants. My mom said if I open a restaurant in Romania, I mustn't cook pork. So how do you get from a new person here, yes, a good chef, but without a name, having to find your ingredients to becoming one of, if not the top chef in Romania? Slowly, slowly, I started cooking for Romanian TV personalities. The first president of the new Romania would eat with me, municipality leaders, even footballers like the great Haji. It was by word of mouth. 2022, 2023, by the time this is broadcast, where are you up to? A few years back, Romanian TV bought the license for what used to be called Top Chef, and they asked me to be the top judge. We did three seasons in three years. Then I took a break and opened my first restaurant as owner and chef. It worked amazingly till COVID struck, so it closed. By then, I had also opened Kaju, where we are sitting now. It's doing really well. We've expanded and created an open kitchen. Right opposite us is the largest opera house in Romania. People come here every year for the concerts. So I reopened the other restaurant, now called Mace, just a few yards away. And now, thank God, I've achieved what I plan. Chef Joseph, Joseph Yossi Haddad, thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, Mark? Good. How's it going? Yeah, are you feeling better? I'm fit to fly. If I wake you up at three in the morning, you know I made it. I I certainly hope so. It's been just a phenomenal, phenomenal day. I'm exhausted. I've been on my feet from first thing this morning till just now. So it's been, you know, good, I don't know, 12, 15 hours, but very, very well worth it. Done anything interesting? Yeah, really fascinating. So there were two museums, galleries of a non-Jewish type, Uh, you know, one looking at artwork, one looking at what I believe was called urban anthropology, which was fascinating. Then there were two um, synagogal type visits, one to the Coral Temple and one to the museum, both of which were fascinating. And to round it off, that meeting with Chef Joseph Haddad, or Yossi, as he told me to call him. How was the food, most importantly? 
The food looks amazing, tastes amazing. Lots of people coming in and out of both of his restaurants that are near each other. In fact, the other one that, that I didn't uh, visit, which is a, a basically a meat place, there were queues of people lining up outside. Many, many Israelis inside, as well as locals and people from around the world. So it looks like he's doing a, a roaring business. Is there a reason there are so many Israelis there? There are a variety of reasons. One, it's only a two-hour 45 flight. Two, Israelis love to travel. Three, he's an Israeli and birds of a feather love to flock together. And four, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, there's a casino around the corner as well and Israelis love to spiel. It's time to say a couple of thank yous. One is to Monica and Karina at the Romanian Embassy in Tel Aviv. Also, a very big thank you to all of the team at Bucharest City Hall at the municipality for all of your help. Thanks to all of the guests. Mark, thank you for not being here because I've, I've been able to flap my wings a little bit. Thank you for taking on all the strain while I've been at home with my feet up. Do you want to do the bit about, you know, people subscribing and stuff? If you want to make my day and make me feel better, then it's important that you subscribe to this podcast. It will make me feel healthy again. There you go, folks. Let's all subscribe to Make Mark Healthy. Make a wish come true. Time for the quiz question and answer. Just the one question, which was, there are three regions of Romania. Moldavia, Transylvania, and the third one in which Bucharest lies. Can you name the third one, Mark? Kludge. Uh, That's uh, part of Transylvania. The answer is Valachia. I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Mark, looking forward to seeing you very soon and for our next podcast from Romania. And I wish you only good health and a very pleasant flight. Or mine. Speak to you soon. Take care, folks. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.